Hello, I'm Sasha O'Connell, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to Mission Is Possible, a series of audio episodes where we will break down and dig in to the management issues of particular concern to the national security community. This is a joint project between the National Security Sector at Guidehouse and the School of Public Affairs at American University. We are pleased to have you join us. On this episode, we're going to talk about the important issues surrounding recruiting for cyber in the national security sector and how to reach the best candidates through non-conventional pathways. As you hear from leaders across industries, you'll gain insight into the challenges hiring managers face, best practices for candidates, as well as skills and experiences that candidates are encouraged to pursue in order to be successful applicants. After a fabulous virtual event on this topic, I got the chance to speak further with our panelists. First, we spoke with Alicia Backus, who is a director of Guidehouse and moderated our panel. Alicia, can you give us a brief description of your background? At Guidehouse, I provide guidance and oversight across the Department of Homeland Security in the areas of information technology, cybersecurity, organization, and operational effectiveness. Thanks so much. It's great to have you with us. In this episode, we really want to gain your insight and thoughts about some of the issues surrounding recruiting for cyber and national security. Can you tell us what some of your biggest takeaways were from the panel? I really appreciated the panelists' emphasis that there continues to be strong demand for talent to support the cyber mission. Beyond that, I was also really glad to hear participants highlight the fact that they are looking for more than just hard technical skills. I think one of the things this field desperately needs are people who can communicate impactfully, manage large-scale initiatives, problem-solve, again, things that go beyond the truly technical skills that cyber sometimes is interpreted as. So I appreciated them highlighting some of that. How does what you just described compare to your experience? I would say, you know, compared to my experience, yeah, this mirrors it quite closely. I think the clients we've supported have valued my team's consulting vantage point because, again, it translates into us being better able to communicate or sell ideas, tools, services, and just do so in an impactful manner. How do you see cyber recruiting changing in the future? As far as how cyber recruiting will change, I think COVID-19 and the renewed emphasis on diversity and inclusion will certainly encourage recruiters to start looking for qualified candidates in new areas. Thank you so much for your input, Alicia. It's always great to have you. Next, we spoke with Rick Driggers from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS. Thanks so much for joining us today. To start, can you share with our audience a little about your background at CISA? Sure. My name is Rick Driggers. I am the Deputy Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within the Department of Homeland Security. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you for making the time last week to join our panel. It was incredibly informative. The discussion around hiring and the executive branch for cyber talent via non-conventional pathways really generated an incredible conversation. And we were able to get to many of the questions from the audience, but we didn't have time to get to them all in the formal event. So we're so thankful to have you here and a bit more of your time now to address some of these issues for our Mission is Possible listening audience. So with that, just to jump right in, if you don't mind, could you talk a little bit more about how your agency is addressing the challenges of recruiting in this space? What are some of your biggest challenges and how are you all trying to address them? Uh, Sure. I I think you know, recruiting is a challenge probably for everybody, both in federal government and the private sector, just due to the workforce shortage we have in the cybersecurity workforce. So 
Clearly, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have is competition with the private sector, uh, the benefits, uh, the flexibility, the agility, uh, the salary uh, structure that the uh, private sector has is clearly much um, different than what the federal government can offer. There's also, at least from my agency's perspective, we have competition with other departments and agencies. We are here in the national capital region, and there are a lot of other government departments and agencies that are also looking for cybersecurity professionals. And so that also creates a unique challenge here. The federal government HR system or the personnel system and the way that we bring people into the federal government can also seem rather cumbersome and uh, not very flexible. And I think that at times we have candidates that get very frustrated with the process, particularly sometimes how long it could take, particularly as people are getting uh, security clearances coming into the federal government for a lot of these cybersecurity positions. That said, our department is working to implement a new personnel system. It's called the Cyber Talent Management System. And this system is going to make it easier for cybersecurity professionals to move between private sector and the government. We realize that, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, people would come into the federal government and they would, you know, enter in at a lower level and they would spend their entire career moving up through the various different ladders and make a career in the federal government. But the cybersecurity workforce, they like to move around. They like to get on different projects and work on different types of programs. And they also like to move between the private sector and the government sector. And this new personnel system is going to make it a lot easier to be able to do that. It's also going to have a much more competitive salary structure, somewhat on par with the private sector, along with other benefits. I think that those are probably the biggest challenges that we have within the federal government. Sounds super exciting in terms of a way forward. I guess the first follow-up is, do folks need to have a technical background or experience to work cyber at CISA? No. I mean, obviously, we have people that have technical skills or they're subject matter experts on various different cybersecurity tools or, you know, if you're a malware analyst or a forensics analyst. But we also have people that are working in policy. We have people that are working in law, program managers that are, you know, managing, you know, multi-billion dollar cybersecurity programs. But they need program management skills. They don't need on the keyboard hacker or penetration testing or or analytical skills. We also have systems engineers that are building a lot of the systems and sensors that our teams use. And we have planners as well. So we do a lot of planning. So there are a lot of many different types of skill sets that make a cybersecurity organization run. And clearly some of those are of, of a technical nature, but there are a lot that are not. Excellent. And so in that vein, for folks, sort of the interdisciplinary folks who might be thinking about a career with you, what advice do you have for those young professionals who want to enter the workforce? And a second piece of that is, is what programs could they expect when they get there in terms of onboarding or orientation, say a non-technical person coming into this field? How does that look as well? So two-parter there. Sure. I think that this is probably one of the challenges on the federal civilian executive side. Clearly, DOD, the Department of Defense, they can bring in a tremendous number of people. They can put them through training. Some of those uh, individuals are not going to make it through all of that training, but maybe they bring other skills to the table. And a Department of Defense can really absorb those individuals that, that enter into cybersecurity, but then fall out and want to do something else within the Department of Defense. We don't really have the ability to do that. We can't absorb that type of workforce uh, in, in terms of those sheer numbers. 
That said, when we do bring in people into our into our agency, whether they are technical and uh, you know working on a keyboard on a red team or blue team or doing some type of uh, cybersecurity analysis, we do offer a tremendous amount of training. My my agency spends a lot of resources and time to make sure that our workforce is up to speed, that they are trained on the latest and greatest tools, that they have uh, the ability to really move through their career uh, and develop themselves professionally. They don't necessarily have to sit in one spot and work as an analyst. Uh, if they want to go do planning or, or they want to get into policy or they want to get into program management, we have the availability to allow different candidates to be able to you know, grow in their career in the direction that they want. That's wonderful. It sounds like makes me want to work at CISA, of course, um, <laughs> next round. In terms of, again, folks coming in, whether it's young folks that are looking to break into this space or folks looking for a career transition, can you talk a little bit about how to best prepare yourself? One of the things that came up and I thought was so interesting on the panel was the topic of certifications and whether that was valuable or whether, you know, on the one hand, that's valuable for job seekers. On the other hand, whether some of the jobs were kind of getting overclassified and requiring too much in terms of then not being able to bring in entry-level folks. Can you talk a little bit more about how you see certifications and maybe more broadly your advice about folks trying to get into this field and how to best prepare themselves to be a successful candidate? Sure. I think that people that want to come into cybersecurity need to be self-starters. There are a tremendous number of resources uh, that can be taken advantage of. As an example, uh, we have Fed VTE, which is a federal virtual training environment. That training environment is basically a learning management system that has probably about 350 uh, online courses. Now, not all of them are available to the public. We're in the process of, uh, of making a lot of that content available to the public. I think there's probably about um, maybe 15 to 20 courses right now that are available publicly. But if you are currently working in state and local government or working in the federal government, or you are a veteran and you're looking to retrain into cybersecurity, all of that content is available to you based on your status as a government employee or a veteran. With regards to certificates, I think certificates are important because it shows that you know individuals are leaning in and taking the training. A lot of the certificate programs aren't just a knowledge transfer, like maybe like a degree program that you would have at a college, whether it's a two-year or four-year uh, um, college degree, but a certificate shows in some ways that there's some skills and abilities there as well because of the testing. Some of the testing can be on keyboard and things of that nature. So I think that the uh, certifications are important. That's certainly something that my organization looks for. There are other resources out there that are available as well, such as the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Careers and Studies, and we call that the NICS portal. And the NICS portal really has a catalog of training that, that can be taken advantage of. And the, the tool is really intended to establish kind of universally adopted terminologies around cyber work roles, as well as knowledge, skills, and abilities. And there, all of the training there and the certificates are all aligned to the National Cybersecurity Workforce Framework, or the NICE framework, that the National Institute of Standards and Technology has put out. And so that is a huge resource for not only uh, candidates that are looking at what type of certificates should I get, what type of work roles actually exist in the cybersecurity workforce, 
but it also is a really great resource for uh, teachers and educators as well. Mr. Driggers, that is great advice for our listeners to hear. Our other panelists joining us today, Laura Bate, has some experience with certifications as well. Laura is the Director for Cyber Engagement for the U.S. Cyber Solarium Commission and is a non-resident Cyber Policy Fellow at New America. Additionally, Laura was formerly a Policy Analyst with the Cybersecurity Initiative at New America. Laura, I want to jump right in. Can you share with us your thoughts on the very interesting topic that came up on the panel? That is, are certifications of value in cybersecurity roles? Yes, certs are definitely an interesting beast. And one of the challenges is that you can use them well or you can use them wrong as an employer. A good way or a good framework, I think, for thinking about what certs are and what they indicate and what they do is to think of them as either career elevators or career entry points. I'm paraphrasing here from Burning Glass, who's done more good work on this too. But some certs indicate, for example, like a Security Plus indicates that you have basic familiarity with security concepts. Uh, this is something that you might see from an entry level or first or second or third year on the job sort of person. But then you have something like a CISSP, which of course is on every job call in cybersecurity anywhere right. ever, yep. um, which you can tag that to any job posting, but it's really intended to be not just an advanced sort of later in your career certificate, but also one that indicates a certain understanding of sort of risk and enterprise management and sort of how you run these big pieces. And so when you over apply a requirement for some of these certs, you really end up limiting the job pool in ways that I think aren't necessary. It also tends to set employers up to be thinking that they are looking for mid and senior career professionals. And they may be, they probably are looking for that. But in focusing on that level of professional, they miss the opportunity to grab the more entry or early career professionals and really invest in the time to bring them up. I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I really don't have the time. We don't have the bandwidth to train someone new. And I get that. And I empathize with that. But until employers start figuring out how they make that time, we're really not going to solve some of our pipeline challenges. And I think over-application of certs can really feed into that. Having said that, cybersecurity is not an... People learn these skills in classrooms. They learn these skills in conventional ways. But they also learn these skills in really, really unconventional ways. Poking around and breaking things or <laughs> studying or learning from Twitter or whatever. However people get there, they get there. And certs provide an imperfect, but probably the best available or one of the best available mechanisms to demonstrate that competence when it's learned outside of a classroom environment. Mr. Driggers, do you share a similar feeling that recruiting people who come from unconventional backgrounds is a big challenge for government agencies to overcome? There's a lot of competition really for two reasons. We've got about you know, 500,000 person workforce shortage in cybersecurity. So the pipeline isn't necessarily there to recruit from. It's really a candidate's market. It's an employee's market for the job that uh, a particular individual wants. And they can really set the pace for those types of things. We are trying to work very hard in CISA, along with some other departments and agencies that we are partnering with to figure out how do we grow a national cybersecurity pipeline and then how do we sustain it? What are the pathways to actually get in to that pipeline? Right now, we've got two and four year degrees. My agency is, is picking up and developing a reskilling academy and working with the Office of Personal Management so that individuals that are in current 
jobs and or careers that want to transition into cybersecurity, that there's a reskilling academy available so that they can get the uh, required training as well as experience to be able to qualify for an entry level position in cybersecurity. And then I think that there's a huge population of individuals that we're not reaching, and those are really K through 12. And really leaning into K through 12 and, and, and figuring out how do we take a senior coming out of high school that's recently graduated that may not want to go to college for various reasons or may not want to go into the military. How do we take that individual and put them into a cybersecurity job? How do we create that trade school so that we can move those individuals from an apprentice to a craftsman, to a journeyman, to a technician, to a master, whatever those levels are. But my agency is in the process of developing what that trade school framework should look like. And we're also working with the private sector, we're working with nonprofits, we're working with some very close partners we have in academia to be able to build that out so that there are more pathways into cybersecurity than just going to college or going into just the military. And I think that that's going to help tremendously. As far as my agency goes, working in CISA is really a huge opportunity. In terms of government agencies, we are more like the private sector than you're going to find anywhere in the government. We work very, very closely across multiple different industries within the private sector, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, water treatment facilities and other utility type companies, whether it is performing arts, commercial facilities, we really work across the gamut in terms of industries and we have very close partnerships with them. So the ability to, to be in a federal government role, to be able to have access to the type of training, be able to have access to the type of information from federal law enforcement, from the intelligence community, and then be able to take that and work with the private sector to really protect and secure and make our nation's uh, infrastructure more resilient is an incredibly important mission. And there is really no other department or agency in the federal government that has that type of access to information as well as that type of access and partnership with the private sector. And so I think that that is a huge pull for people, just the mission that we have inside of CISA really helps us bring in uh, the talent uh, that we want. Although, like everybody else, we need more talent. We need more people interested in working in the federal government and working in our agency. Thank you so much, Mr. Driggers. To pivot to Laura. I know ensuring diversity in this whole context is something that you focused on in your work. It's something that's important to you and something you made a great point about on the panel. And that is, you know, if we, as part of this hiring process and this recruiting process of cyber talent, really are truly serious about diversity, we need to not only focus on it in the recruiting phase, but also once folks get in the door. There are definitely different levels of bringing people in. And I think focusing on recruiting diverse candidates, not to say that it is, but it definitely can be, when the intention is just that recruitment component, it becomes easy to tokenize people. It becomes easy to think about, oh, well, how do I have a black woman in this photo? And that is neither effective for yielding the change we want to change, nor is it effective at empowering people. It's just for all kinds of reasons that we want our focus to be sort of more holistically. How do we create organizations that really prize having different perspectives, folks from different backgrounds, whether that's different racial, ethnic, gender backgrounds, or whether it's different educational backgrounds or different professional backgrounds. There are real deep 
scientifically demonstrable ways that having that diversity matters. And it becomes more than just how do you have X, Y, and Z demographic categories on your team? It's, it's how do you demonstrate that your workplace is really giving equal opportunity to all of the people who come in the door? I can't wait for the day where I don't get insightful points to say things like, you should pay your people equally. Um, <laughs> but I'm afraid we're still there, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's frustrating. And to say that there should be clear, verifiable things that I can point to to say why I get a promotion or when I get a promotion that really, really limit the impact of implicit bias on things like salary. So I would love to see some more of those, those sorts of tools implemented. That's great to hear. Mr. Driggers and Laura, as we wind down here on our session, is there any advice you would like to give our listeners? I would just say that I think that there is this perception that in order to be in cybersecurity, that you have to be this computer engineer, you have to be some type of expert in gaming. And that's just not the case. If you are a problem solver, if you are a creative thinker, if you have agility and you're multifunctional, a dynamic personality, if you have out-of-the-box ideas and you're innovative, then, then you could be successful in a cybersecurity profession. You don't have to be that subject matter expert or that you know, individual that you know, is considered, quote-unquote, a hacker. Um, there are a lot of opportunities to come into the organization. I would also say that the soft skills, like being able to communicate being able to collaborate, being able to work on a team or even lead a team. Those are all very important skills as well for really any profession, but they are certainly very, very important if you want to come into cybersecurity. So uh, we need you, the workforce needs you, and I'll be honest with you, just for our national security, economic security, public health and safety, the nation needs more cybersecurity professionals. So the doors are open. You know, one of the things that I would start out by saying is that there's this narrative that everybody is hiring for cybersecurity. It becomes easy as a young person coming out of a school with a cybersecurity degree or a computer science degree or as a self-taught person with competence in cybersecurity or, or what have you. I think that we set up this narrative that the jobs are just ripe for the pluck-in. And in some cases they are, but in some cases they aren't. Government hiring really can be quite tricky for occasionally very stupid and bureaucratic reasons. And I think for folks who are trying to get into the field who then run up against some of those challenges, it then becomes a question of why am I not enough? What am I doing wrong? These jobs are supposed to be everywhere and I can't find them. And so I think something to keep in mind with hiring in general, but with hiring in a government context particularly, is that you can't take that personally. USA Jobs is terrible. Great for everybody. <laughs> I grant you it's gotten a lot better and a lot of people have put a lot of time and effort and thought into making it better and it has gotten a lot better in the past few years. But the way we structure sort of bringing people in, particularly in areas where you can't start using some of the accepted service hiring mechanisms that you're seeing develop in DOD and DHS, things like that, outside of those hiring mechanisms, it really can be hard to get into government service. So the, the advice that I would give people is to be patient and not to take it personally. The other advice that I would give people is to always have a career plan running on a couple of tracks. Early in my career, I certainly had opportunities where I thought I had something coming in the pipeline and it didn't end up materializing. There's a lot that can go wrong in government. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you, but you want to have a backup in case something does go wrong. So my advice is be patient, look for different things. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, but keep in mind that 
working for the government can be an incredibly enriching opportunity, both in terms of what you learn and what you contribute. So keep trying, be persistent, and have something in your back pocket in case. Thank you so much, Laura. On that note, I'd like to thank all of our panelists today for their time and taking the time to share with us their thoughts and insights into this critically important topic of recruiting for cyber in the national security sector and how to best reach the best candidates through non-conventional pathways. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Mission is Possible. To find out more information on the GuideHouse American University Speaker Series, please visit us at guidehouse.com. <laughs>